Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 490 with Justin Jones. Fosu, I have known Justin for years. He is one of the most thoughtful, high-energy humans I know. So I think you're going to enjoy learning from him. We're talking about aligning your why with what you're doing now. So you'll learn, one, how to get into your Achieve More Zone. Two, 12 questions for uncovering your why. And three, how to turn any job into meaningful work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F490. If you're visiting awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you'll subscribe to the Gold Nugget email list where you can get the summary wisdom insights from Justin and the 489 guests who've gone before him in a quick email you can read in about two to three minutes, as well as access to the whole vault of these Gold Nugget wisdom bits at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Justin's story. Justin Jones-Fosu is on a mission to help professionals and workplaces to work like they mean it. He's a meaningful work speaker and social entrepreneur who speaks 60 to 70 times per year to companies, organizations, and associations in the U.S. and internationally. His latest book, Your Why Matters Now, How Some Achieve More and Others Don't, challenges the reader to merge their purpose and productivity to get more out of work and life. Big thanks to Justin for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Justin. Justin, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to be here, Pete. You know, Justin, my mental picture of you comes from maybe the day after I met you in which you were dancing around in a blue boxing robe. Can you explain <laughs> this situation to, to our listeners? What happens with Pete and Justin stays with Pete and Justin, <laughs> except on his podcast. So, <laughs> but no. So when I first started speaking, one of the things for me, I was doing a presentation uh, about fighting for your life. And so a great way to illustrate that was with I had a boxing robe uh, that was created for me, a uh, genuine one from like the boxing people themselves <laughs> and uh, had like TBA, which stood for Think, Believe, Act and uh, had the boxing gloves. And so like that was my little thing where I'd come in to uh, the Rocky music like and uh, it was a really cool experience. So that's that's probably what happened and what ended up speaking at an organization and somebody stole it. <laughs> I have no idea where it went, but I never replaced it. So that's my boxing rope story. That was not cool. It's, it, you know what? It's going to be on eBay somewhere. You're going to bump into like, what the heck guys? You know, right. <laughs> if I ever track get famous, 
Like that's what's going to happen, uh-huh. right? <laughs> well, so lately you've been doing a lot of work and research and, and speaking associated with the idea of, of meaningful work and, and how that comes about. And, and you have an interesting perspective when it comes to your why and your now. Can you sort of unpack this idea for us? Yeah. So probably about eight years ago, I started digging into kind of your why and purpose. And I've been studying purpose for a while. Uh, something that was very meaningful for me. And as I started traveling around, I was doing some speaking and I started hearing these rumblings of kind of the why and purpose. And, and I started meeting people who knew their why, but weren't doing anything about it. And so I was like, oh, like, you know, I initially went into, because all my, my focus back in the day was all about action in terms of how do you actualize leadership? How do you action-based leadership? And it shifted because I started asking the questions of people who knew their why but we're doing anything about it. And then I realized there was a whole nother group of people and this whole group of people, they were what I call now people and the now people, these are the kind of people who are doing a lot of good stuff just in the wrong places and they weren't connected to their why. And so that for me became kind of the contribution to the conversation is that I want to help people to achieve more. Right. And so people achieve when they know their why, because they're able to kind of move forward. People are able also able to achieve when they're engaged in now and they're super, you know, productive, but maybe in the wrong places. Uh, but the true sweet spot or what I call the achieve more zone is where people connect their why and their now. And those things together when we're on operating in congruency that allows people to achieve more. And if anyone's like me, I've gone through my phases of what I call purpose and productivity seesaw, where I get into my zone of purpose. Like, oh, my, I got to be purposeful. I have to do things that mean something to me. And I become a little less productive because it's all about purposeful and, and meaning. And, and then I jump to the other side and I need, I need to be productive and I need to get things done now. And, and, and then I start losing purpose and the things that were meaningful. But I was like, what if we didn't have to go through that seesaw? What if we could actually bridge the two together? to achieve more. And that's where the why and the now came together. Could you maybe tell some stories, some examples, paint a picture of an articulation of a why and uh, sort of you got the why without the now, and then we got the now without the why sort of, what does that look and feel like in practice? Yeah. So uh, many times (laughs) I hear so many, even in my audiences of people that engage in terms of like why. So some people with why without the now, I mean, two different ways. So I created a whole quadrant around it, but I'll talk about like one of the, say the wanderers, right? And so, and my why matters now quadrant is one of the things, if you have a low why, low now, the wanderers are the kind of people that they don't know their why, they're not practicing, they're not passionate about it, they're not giving it their all. If I had to give them a TV show, I call them the walking dead. Uh, but the next group of people, the thinkers, these are the kind of people that they know their why. These are the kind of people that they read the books on purpose. They read the books on why. You know, I'll give you a great example. I was that person who was super purpose oriented. I was reading books on it, even wrote a book that dealt with purpose and values. But as I was dealing with that, I wasn't productive. Like I wasn't getting a lot of things done. I wasn't accomplishing as much as I could. I felt super content but I wasn't progressing forward. And so that was a time in my life where I was like super focused on purpose. And I thought about my career and I was super reflective. And so those are the type of people that they get into reflection mode and and what I call in the quadrants, the thinkers, right? So these are people that are just, they're thinking, they're thinking, they're thinking, but for whatever reason, whether fear of success, fear of failure, or they're simply just following the herd of society that they just get stuck just thinking about their why, but it doesn't translate to great action, to accomplishing more, to being productive, to doing uh, productive behaviors or what I call being on 10, which we can talk about later. And so that's the why people. Then the other group of people, which I've also been as well, are those who have a, a high now, but a low why. And in my quadrant, those of them is placed. 
and misplaced are the kind of people that I mentioned they're doing a lot of great stuff just in the wrong places. And so for me, I had those moments where I would read books like Get Things Done and Eat That Frog and a whole bunch of productivity books. And I was just being super productive, but I wasn't checking it according to my why. I wasn't making sure that I was doing things on purpose. So I'll give you a great example. So I used to be a radio show host, right? And part of the radio show host, I was you know, three years, listened up with Justin Jones folks who had a really great time at FM radio station, NPR affiliate. And as I was doing the radio show for three years, I found myself in a misplaced quadrant because I was doing it and people were like, this is awesome. You're killing it, Justin. You're reaching thousands of people in the Baltimore area and surrounding. But it wasn't connected to my why. I was doing it because it was a good thing to do. And it felt like the right thing to do, like the right progression, be productive, you know, have a radio show host where thousands of people listen to you every week. And, but it wasn't according to my why. And when I really sat down and thought through why was I doing what I was doing? What was the purpose behind it? What was the intent? I realized that the radio show wasn't the right conduit for me that uh, was actually productive, but zapping me of aspects of purpose and meaning for me. And so I decided to give up the radio show after three years. And everybody's like, why, why would you do that? But it's because I wanted to have greater uh, why alignment. And so I ended up pursuing and diving into things in terms of speaking and writing that were much more in line with my why, but I was also be able to give more time and be super productive to what really mattered to me. And so then, and what do you call it, I guess, in your, in your ideal quadrant where you got it both going on? Yes, the pursuer quadrant. And with the uh, it's those who understand clarity, connection, and consistency, which is the components of the why, to have the strong why, and those people who are engaged in on 10 behaviors, which is when people are maximizing you know, kind of their effort, their intensity, how hard they go. And so if, if I had to summarize why, the definition of why is simply purpose, what motivates you, what drives you, uh, the intent behind what you do, and the now is passion. And when I talk about passion, I'm talking about not what you do, but how you do it, the effort, the intensity with which you give it. And it's a concept I call being on 10. So I, it's interesting here because I can see what you're, where you're going. So we got the thinkers who are doing a fine job of doing that internal reflection and zeroing yes. in on, well, what am I all about? What's behind this? What are my values? What really lights me up? What, what doesn't yeah. light me up? And so, and so they're having some good time where they're, they're articulating some of that stuff, but in the process, they're not making stuff happen, you know, so right. they don't, aren't generating a, a bunch of to do's, you know, slayed behind them in their wake. And, and so uh, at the same time, though, you can go in the other direction in which you're not mm. doing any of that reflection, you're rocking and rolling in terms of just dominating hundreds of emails, <laughs> you know, right. and, and all these things. <laughs> Zero box. <laughs> but what is it, what's it really doing for you in terms right. of, of connecting? So, so I hear what you're saying that it could totally be possible to, to have one and, and not the other. So let's talk a bit about arriving at a good articulation of your why, and we talked about this a couple of times on the show. Right. So you mentioned clarity, connection, and consistency. How do we get at that clarity? And and maybe for starters, you could articulate for us your why and, and maybe some whys of other folks that you've interacted with that just inspire the, the crap out of you. Yeah. So yeah, my why is to inspire people to achieve actionable results by challenging the boundaries of what they believe are possible. And uh, it took me a long time to really begin to articulate and get to that why, because for me, I look back at my life. And so I, I did kind of a reflection in terms of what has been a core messaging throughout my life. What's been part of that 
the journey of my life. And my story is one where I had a lot of obstacles, you know, extensive homelessness. We were poor uh, initially uh, in terms of financially, but rich in spirit. <laughs> I had the hand-me-downs, did Salvation Army Club, I mean, all that stuff, and had to really kind of overcome the boundaries that were there. Single mom, two rambunctious boys. I mean, a lot of things, you know, grew up in the hood initially. And so a lot of things that were boundaries for me. And I realized that my own life was one of challenging the boundaries of what I believed were possible. But that also translates into kind of what I call my intentional hobby, where my intentional hobby is I climb, I like trekking and climbing mountains. And I like challenging the boundaries. I remember one story where uh, me and my buddy Marlon Barton we do this thing called a birthday challenge. And so we went skiing for the first time in Vail. I'd never been skiing before. Great place to go skiing for the first time. And, and I remember we were climbing, you know, snowshoeing uh, this mountain. And literally sometimes all we could do is take 20 steps and stop for like three minutes because we were one at high altitude, but we continue to climb. And so for me, that became my why. And so that's just symbolic of the nature of, for me, is I'm always challenging the boundaries of what I believe are possible from being, coming from a single home, from being you know poor financially to being a black male in society, a lot of different things. And so just challenging those boundaries has become a component of my journey with others. And so it's not something that I have to think about doing. I just do it, right? And, I, and sometimes I have to control myself in doing it because I can come off so hard like, hey, are you challenging your boundaries? And people are like, Justin, I just said hi, right? <laughs> and so for me, that became, as I reflected, that became crystal clear for my why. So to start off, that's my why. And that's kind of how I came about it. It took me like really about a month to really kind of think through and process and reflect and I asked myself several different questions in order to get there, to get to that why. Well, thank you. It's very helpful. And could you share some other folks you know and, and their whys articulated? Absolutely. So other people I've met, and I met this uh, young lady actually uh, about a month ago. And she talked about, you know, we went through because she was struggling with how does she identify her why. And we started kind of going through uh, life and questions. And, you know, I have this thing called the uncovering questions that I help people to, to kind of think through their why, to develop their why statement. And we started going through some of these questions. And we came to the, the, her why dealt with both uh, helping fixing things, but also centered around technology. And so she started thinking through, like, what does this look like for me in my everyday life? And so we started talking about, like, how do you interact with your friends? She's like, I always have to fix it. I always have to be a fixer. And so, like, part of her why statement became in terms of fixing things, but it also looked at how does technology help people in their lives to fix things. So she does, like, AV and IT stuff. And so she's always thinking through of connecting people to technology in ways that can help them fix some of the aspects and challenges in their lives. And so that's her why statement. That other people have developed why statements because, again, this is not what you do, but the kind of the overall umbrella of how you do something or the kind of the lens in which you look through things. So I met, I met another gentleman, and one of the things around his why just dealt with helping people to develop a greater sense of uh, grit because he had to work his butt off and end up going to the military. And one really amazing uh, person <laughs> that I encountered, Summer Owens, and she has a great story in terms of she was a teen mom and, and ended up going to University of Memphis and, and her story of just all that she encountered. And, you know, there was actually the way she became a teen mom dealt with the sexual assault. 
her why is built on what's called so what in terms of her resilience. And so, you know, she became Miss University of Memphis and is now even like the national president for the University of Memphis alumni. And I mean, just really doing a great job. Her why centers around so what and, and resilience. So, so what you went through that, how are you going to continue to go up? So she helps people to become so what uh, in their lives. And so like those are people's whys and everybody gets to their whys differently. But for me in, in the book, some people that struggle with their why created these 12 questions just to help people to start thinking and processing how they approach their why. Well, yeah, I, I would definitely want to hit those in just a moment. But first you mentioned that it's not even about what you're doing in a moment, but the bringing that lens and that perspective to whatever you're doing. So can you share how, once you have that why, how you yeah. would bring it to a job that might yeah. not have anything to do with technology or whatever that the case may be. And, but it infuses it with something magical. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I found is I was really kind of discovering why is like some people I feel have stated their why is what they do. Right. And so my why is, you know, somebody could say my why is to help people through being a trainer. And I'm saying, well, no, not necessarily. Your why could be helping people. But it may not just be the trainer because that should be the thing that you do in all aspects of your life. Like you're helping people, you know, you're engaging with your friends and you're helping them to solve their problems and bring solutions. And so for me, part of my why just permeated through not just what I did, but like all the aspects of what I do should be my why. And so with my family, I'm challenging the boundaries of what they believe are possible. And, and so we're doing things that we've never done. So at work, you may have nothing to do like this person who loves fixing things and loves that kind of infusion with technology. She was able to find a job, which is great in terms of ways that that integrate in what she did. But she still would be helping to fix things as part of her why in her job. And so it could have been aspects of problems and bringing solutions to those problems. So whatever those things are, it's very important that we don't fine tune because we may change what we do, but why we do it uh, is something that really is consistent. And so I'm very fortunate. I love, I love speaking. And so I get, you know, people bring me in and speak and all the good stuff. But like, even with my friends, I'm challenging the boundaries of what they believe are possible. So like when everybody has a birthday, whether on LinkedIn and even so Facebook, I sometimes send what I call the birthday challenge, which is what I do every year, which is, you know, one thing that you've never done that you've always wanted to do um, or that you haven't done in a long time. And that's to challenge you to stay in what I call the learning based mindset. And so it's, it's one of the things I just naturally do. And it has nothing to do with my job or my work, but it just permeates through all that I do. And so some people that's helping to fix things for other people, it's developing greater sense of resilience. Uh, for some people, it's helping to connect people to deeper sense of family or belonging. And that family could be within the context of corporate America or could be at home. Whatever those things are, it permeates that even if you change job titles, why you do something, the meaning, the intent, the purpose behind it stays the same. And so that's where I come to the why, not just what you do, really it's not what you do, but uh, the umbrella, the lens in which you do almost all aspects of your life, even at the gym. I'm challenging boundaries that I believe positive. Sometimes that's not wise because I think I can do more than I can do. <laughs> but like I still am challenging those boundaries. And like, you know, that's why my birthday challenge this year is actually competing in a men's physique competition. Don't judge me. Oh, boy. Please send photos. <laughs> you must. <laughs> I take my shirt off like, no, my wife is going to kill me. But, but that's all aspects of my life are centered around challenging the boundaries, what I believe are possible and, and achieving actionable results in the process. You know, I, I had a buddy who participated in men's physique contest. I don't know if he wants me to say his name or not, but <laughs> it was impressive. Like, yeah. wow, check that. 
Check that out. <laughs> I hope so, mine would be too. I was <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I was I was at a wedding and he. Uh, and I knew it was going, and he was missing the wedding because he had already signed up for this thing. And, and so I, I kept kind of asking him for the updates, like, yeah, so, so how'd it go? And then I, I had the distinct privilege of being able to show, uh, the first photos of him and the men's physique wow. contest to his girlfriend. Wow. <laughs> I was also at the wedding. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's, it's so good. You know, when you have something that's up, well, I, I, this actually kind of connects to my purpose, I guess. That's so, because, <laughs> and I've chewed on this in terms of this, is this my purpose just for like work or, or, or more broadly? And, and, right. um, you give me some good stuff to chew on. And, and I, I think it, it's not just work, but I don't know if it's yet all encompassing. So I'm a work in progress, right. but it's, uh, to, dis- to discover, develop, and disseminate knowledge that transforms the experience of being alive. That's powerful. Oh, thank you. And, and it really does genuinely light me up. Like yes. having conversations with you, like I'm discovering stuff like, oh, that's really cool. You yes. know, it's like I'm developing it. Like, okay, we're working this episode. You know, we're making it sharp. We're, we're yeah. polishing it. We're cutting some parts. We're trying to get some good teasers, you know, and we're distributing it. Like, hey, uh, many thousands of folks are, are, are checking out the episode and, and, and they, they say good things. And, and so that's, that's a thrill. And then it also shows up in other sort of trainings and speaking and coaching and, and, and whatnot that I'm doing, as well as even just conversation with, yeah. with folks like uh, about a product. It's like, oh, hey, I, I got this this uh, meat Bluetooth meat thermometer and it's amazing. You know, <laughs> it's right. transformed my life with right. all of the, you know, low fat chicken breasts. I'm yes. great for physique contest, Justin, See? by the way. We'll be competing together. It sounds like <laughs> how to be awesome at your physique. It'll be your next podcast. <laughs> so you have some good wheels turning, but even in that moment, you know, I was so delighted to be able to, I guess, disseminate the knowledge. Hey, here's a photo of your man <laughs> on his, on his yeah, bodybuilding right. <laughs> contest day. You know, it was, it was a thrill for me. And it, it, it transformed her experience of being alive because she was like, oh, my God. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, it, your why is permeating all aspects. There was no podcast for that. There wasn't. There, there no. was no uh, speaking engagement for that. It was just you being you. I, I, I dig it. I dig it. So so I feel like I'm getting pretty close of fine-tuning yeah. it. And so very cool. Well, let's, let's hear about these uncovering questions. What do tell? Yeah. What do they uncover and yes. how do we do them? Yeah, so uh, I'll go through the 12. There's some that mean more to others and how people interpret it. And so some may seem redundant, but they're really trying to piece together. It's almost like when you put your fingerprint, when you do the fingerprint scan, that it's like, okay, still put your fingerprint down, but it gets at it a different way. And so these 12 questions are, the first is, why are you here? And for some people, they're like, why am I here? Like existential, like, whoa. Second is, what major life experiences have you faced, both positive and negative? Third is, what interested you growing up? Fourth, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Fifth, what interests and intrigues you in life? Six, what do you wish was better in the world? Seven, have you ever had a moment when you felt like you came alive? What were you doing and why did that make you feel amazing? Eight, what impact do you have on others slash society? What impact do you want to have on others slash society? Nine, when have you felt inspired, hopeful, full of learning and growing? 10. What excites you? 11. What do you believe about the world? What do you think the world should be like? And 12. How are others better after time with you or by what you do? And so asking these questions and, you know, I've sometimes done workshops with these and we've kind of gone through aspects of the book and man, you know, to see people really diving in and engaging childhood and engaging the journey of their lives and asking questions like what's been a consistent theme over the course of my life from childhood to adolescence to adulthood that really helps me to, to identify and have a clearer why of like purpose and 
what I provide and bring to society and really the impact and the legacy that I want to leave an imprint on this world. And people wrestle with that. And so this is one of the things I tell people often because, you know, especially my perfectionist people, like they're like, I need to like, write the perfect statement sent, you know, and I'm like, well, it's not about getting the perfect statement. It's about taking that true, genuine time to reflect. And then I also like I did something where I and I encourage people to do it. The same thing is I sent it to like my three top family members and friends. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm really identifying as my why and my why statement. Do you think and ex- externally, do you think this reflects me? Um, and some people like Justin, like I've never even heard you say that phrase. Right? <laughs> like that came out of nowhere. So I don't think that's true or germane to who you were. I felt like I was just trying too hard to come up with something that sounded really cool. Um, but really identifying like what meant something to me. And, and people talked about challenging. I'm always challenging. They talked about boundaries. They talked about like, you know, how mm-hmm. do you challenge those boundaries and what's possible? And so like these key themes and phrases came from my like, childhood and adolescence into adulthood. And, and for me, and when people start asking themselves those questions and start reflecting, it's not that they will get an immediate why statement there, but it's them now being open to hearing and experiencing not from themselves, but also their closer friends and family members, what this really looks like and how they can live it out. Yeah, I really dig what you're saying here. And and we also interviewed uh, David Mead on the podcast, who works with Simon Sinek uh, with Find Your Why in that book. And so, and there's some nice overlap with, but though he, he was all about, hey, have a partner and have them kind of carefully observe as you share sort of life stories with them. And they kind of can, can identify some themes from those. And I thought, well, that's, that's a good approach. Yes. Uh, but what I love yes. about your questions is we can get started right away in terms of right, right. now, don't got to find a partner, you know, don't have them, don't, they, right. they don't need training or facilitation <laughs> or have any interest in right. this. And, and so, and you can really get the, the wheels turning immediately, which is cool. And they, yeah, I kind of want to just kind of want to just be alone and think about these right now. Right. Go away, Justin. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I'll leave you alone. And that's what a lot of people like to do. I mean, I think even from a great perspective, just having time to reflect. And I love that method in terms of having a partner to observe. But just sometimes just having time to reflect and just to sit back and engage and to think. It's really emotional for some people. Some people in my, my, my workshops and trainings have like, there have been many tears. Because people go through some really painful experiences. Because one of the things I talked about, both positive and negative, and I went through experiences of abuse and abandonment and a lot of different things that I, I had to really kind of wrestle with. And so, like, there's actually a part in the book where I tell people, like, hey, like, if you need a moment, like, put the book down and come back to it when you're okay. And if it really gets serious for you, please seek help and get counseling to process some of these things. Because some people actually drudge up things that have been challenging for them and they've put away in a nice box, but it's been a part of their story. And so I think it's helpful for people to take that time, like you just said, and like Justin, get away and just reflect and then maybe bring on a partner and or uh, have three to close five uh, friends or family members look at and engage in your stories and, and what you shared. All right. So let's say we have even a rough, nascent, preliminary draft sense of the why before a perfect articulation or a decent articulation. So with that in mind, how do we sort of day to day enjoy kind of more passion of your job based upon having this? Yeah. So this is a couple of different ways to approach that, right? And so when you know your why, I mean, it's it allows you to better engage. One of the things is a lot of work around meaning, right? And so I, I talk about meaning as part of the one of the definitions of why that's meaningful. And so 
when people, you know, I challenge the notion of meaning. And so like, I'm, you know, really developing this movement around helping people to work meaningfully, not to have meaningful work, but work meaningfully, because often I found that we've created almost this meaningful workspace where it's, it's external focus on meaning. It's like the external loci, you know, Stephen Covey talks about internal locus of control and really dives deeper into that. But this in, internal loci that it's not about finding meaning in your work. It's about bringing meaning to your work. It's not about doing work that you love. It's about loving the work that you do because one's external, one's internal. And there's actually some really cool research that shows there's, there's a group of hospital cleaners. And one of the things that they found was that uh, there's two different groups of hospital cleaners. There's one group of hospital cleaners that came to the hospital. They cleaned the hospital. And they left the hospital. It makes sense because they were hospital cleaners, right? But there's this another group of hospital cleaners that they engaged with the nurses to find out when's the best time to actually come into the room. They would talk with visitors and family members, say, hello, is there anything I could get for you? They saw themselves as extensions of the mission of the hospital. Now, these groups were both doing the exact same work, but one brought meaning with them while others were potentially finding meaning in their work. And so I think when we talk about passion and engaging at work, it first starts with us showing up and choosing each and every day to bring our meaning with us. No matter what you identify as your why statement, even if you don't have a why statement yet, is that we can show up and bring that meaning and, and there's ways to do that, right? So a lot of my research stems in job crafting and, and, and there's really three ways that you can have job crafting uh, or craft a job that's meaningful for you. But identifying task crafting, relational crafting, and mental crafting. And so like task crafting is simply adding a component of your job that is meaningful for you. So for some people, what they do is repetitive. It's not sexy. They're like, oh, I want to do something else. But that task crafting is saying, well, could I potentially, I love helping people. So could I potentially be one of the leads for volunteering? Could I start a volunteering? Could we do something as it relates to breast cancer awareness or do one of the walks or whatever that could be that they may start that or be a part of the lead? And so that, that small aspect of task crafting shifts how they bring themselves to work. The, the second around relational crafting is simply enjoying the friends or the people that are there. So the relationships actually span that. And, and in my presentations, I talk about Cool Hand Luke, right? Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's one of my favorite movies with Paul Newman. And one of the things is, you know, they, the statement, what we have here is a failure to communicate, right? That came from that movie. And, and one of the things with the, the relational crafting is he created these games with the people he was with. And so they were doing like mundane things. They were supposed to be in prison, but they had so much fun doing it with each other right? And so they created this relational component. And so developing strong sense of belonging and relationships, whether that's going to happy hours, whether that's engaging and taking, going out to lunch with one person a week, whatever that they may be, that you come to work. And even if your work is not sexy, you don't really find it really awesome, that you can still be awesome at your job by the relationships that you create. But the third aspect is the mental crafting. And it's all about how do you see the work that you do? And, and so some of the things in my research that I was looking at uh, people who do repetitive jobs and also uh, one of the uh, saw articles like meaningful work in meaningless places. And so like they talked about like even uh, a janitor that saw themselves in an educational uh, institution and that janitor saw themselves helping people to learn more effectively and learn better because they created an environment where people could bring them best selves to learn. And they asked themselves, if I did not clean, if I didn't do what I did today, what would this place be? And how would people respond? And would they be their best selves in their learning? And so like, that's a great example of like, how do we bring what we do? And so that's just some of the research that dives into 
how can you bring that passion? How do you bring that meaning? And it's not simply just waiting for meaning to fall in your lap. Mm, yes, thank you. And, and I'm thinking of now with regard to the task component. So the folks who are cleaning the hospital sort of just did a, a little extra touches with regard to, you know, checking with the nurses, like when was the best time to do this cleaning? So you're doing a task that you're you're not feeling and, and you can just sort of invent whatever it may be. And so what are some of the the little tweaks, you know, kind of like the, the hospital cleaner asking about what times they could clean that would be best for the patient might help give a boost to the the meaning when we're doing some task crafting. Yeah. So there's so many different opportunities and examples of task crafting that are there. So one that mentioned before was just in terms of changing or adding that little component of something that's meaningful for you. So uh, for some people, like we mentioned, it's helping people. So it could be in getting involved and engaged with the community service aspect. Uh, for some people that they love creating presentations, so they may volunteer to do the presentations or even just create them in PowerPoint or Keynote or Prezi if you still use it. But it's like they ask how they can best engage in the things that are meaningful for them. So that's another example. Uh, for some other people, uh, give you my example for me. When I was uh, working for a financial services company, I wasn't happy in my job. It's really a lot of this movement came for me. I, I wasn't being awesome at my job, nor was I happy at my job. And I started asking for little different things. And so they allowed me to be a part of the learning management system and, and what we called my learning. And I was able to also engage. I was really passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they included me as part of, uh, they were implementing new diversity strategies uh, within the company. So you know, my manager was, allowed me to be a part of that team and it impacted my overall work. And it, it, what, what's beautiful about that in a book called The Progress Principle, one of the things that they found in the interview 12,000 workers is that when people felt like they were making progress, even if it was incremental towards something that was meaningful to them, that they felt better, healthier and happier about what they called the IWL or inner work life. And so like all of those components is like we all can find, we just have to stop, press pause, reflect and ask, what are some of the tasks that are meaningful for me? Uh, and that's why I loved what Google used to do. They, they moved away from that according to uh, recent conversations, but they used to have like this 20% rule where they challenged and encouraged people to work on tasks or things 20% of the time that were meaningful to them, that they loved. And so some of the things that we, we experience and have now came from that 20%. Right. And so people would do that and they would we'd come up with great things. Some things failed and work, but those were ways that I uh, saw companies help to implement aspects of task crafting. So as individuals, we have to ask and press pause and reflect and ask, what makes me smile at work? Like what, what are some of the things that I really just enjoy doing? Uh, is it the interactions I have with people? I met a lady at the uh, Charlotte airport, she would sing all the time, right? She'd sell like the candy and the mints, which I eat a lot of the mints, not the candy. And uh, I'm, I'm working out, uh, but she would sing all the time and I loved it, right? So she created this little way to bring a different component of, of, of her task and she loved singing and she applied that. So in all our different walks of life, I think there's opportunities for us to identify the tasks that make us smile, some things that we really enjoy, and find out, one, can we get involved in that that exists already at our, our, our job or whether we're you know, commuting or whether we're you know, 
doing other things from online and or create it, right? So maybe there's not a uh, social committee and you know, hopefully you don't do it like the office did, but like maybe there's opportunity for you to coordinate happy hours if you really like bringing people together or, you know, to get people involved and create a bowling night or whatever that thing may be. I think there's opportunities to craft that in our tasks. So there's an opposite side of that, that I want to be help people to be mindful of that sometimes, you know, one, people have to get buy-in from their leadership and management to add that to their work. <laughs> and I've seen uh, in some of the research that people have gone to the opposite side and they've spent too much time on the, the thing that they're crafting mm-hmm. and not enough time on their job. And so it doesn't allow their management leadership to support some of their task crafting. So that's that's some of the risks of task crafting is that you have to get one buy-in, but then two, you have to make sure that it doesn't negatively impact your job where you're spending too much time on what you enjoy, but just occasionally implementing some of those components into your everyday work. Well, Justin, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah. So I, I think the other component of, of just the now, which, you know, uh, is the, the companion to the why, right? So yes, it's great in terms of bringing meaning with you, but how do you bring that meaning, right? What does it mean to be what I call on 10, right? Now, to kind of illustrate the on 10, at least <laughs> through the air, it's almost like this. Have you ever been to a place where people have been dancing? And Pete, you know this too well, right? It's like, there's usually two different types of dancers, aren't there, Pete, right? There's like one type of dancer that's like, you know, cool, calm, and collected, like boom, 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 boom. Hey, they're not going to see me sweat, right? <laughs> and then you have this other type of dancer that's like, whoa, 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 brr, Cardi, right? <laughs> and it's the, the first type of dancer, they're so concerned and consumed about people watching them that they even remix it. They make it slower, like, you know, they're not going to see me sweat. Yeah, right? But this other type of dancer that they came with like three undershirts because they're going to sweat out everything, every single one. Like they came ready to give everything they had on a dance floor of their lives. And I've seen you dance, Pete. That is you. And <laughs> I mean, they came ready. And that's the question mark for us in real life is like, which type of dancer are we? Now, not in real life because we don't need to know that. But are we the dancer number one who... They're so concerned about people watching them, looking at them, that they don't give their all. They don't give what their 10 is. Or they dance number two, where they're willing, even if people put them on IG or people put them on Snap or LinkedIn uh, Live or whatever that may be, that they're willing to give everything that they have. And I often find it's uh, people have to answer that question for themselves. Are they on 10? Are they maximizing? Like, what are their on 10 behaviors? What are the things that they do that communicates their excellence, their best, right? Now, one of the challenges I find with people that engage or don't engage with fully being on 10 is that they suffer from what I call on 10 comparisons, where one of the things that they consistently compare themselves to other people. So it's almost like somebody else doing a podcast that would compare themselves to how awesome your podcast is, and they wouldn't give their best because they're like, I'll never measure up to Pete. But you all may have two different capacities. What they're able to do and what you're able to do is different and maybe at different parts of their lives. And so like, how do you look at just your own reflection, your, do your own reflection and identify your own self of what is my best? And so having your why and bringing meaning is super important. Also, how important your now is, is amazing. So even with the, with the listeners, I, I simply ask you, if you had to rate yourself on a scale from one to 10, with one being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how passionately are you currently living your why, right? Whether that's professionally and or personally, like what does that look like? What would you rate yourself? And, and, and even a deeper question uh, sometimes is, well, how would the people around you rate you? 
right? If we went and did an informal 360 at your, your office, or even if you're telecommuting and different things like that, just the people that you, you, you know, support or, or work with or other team members, how would they reach you? And then on the other side, you know, because all of my conversations are not just professional, but also personal, like what would family members say, right? And so those are ways that we can ask, what are our on 10 behaviors? How would I currently rate myself? And what does it look like for me to truly be on 10 to fully engage? And so in the book and other places, I, I talk about just uh, ways to challenge our cruise control, but also what I call the principle of the frog step, seed and smile, which are ways to be on 10 to have a high now and to engage in the true now. Lovely. Thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes is, anything can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unknown. <laughs> uh, I, I guess that's probably <laughs> intentional. <laughs> Over here. Yeah, zing, right. yeah. <laughs> As a quote, like, yeah, let me put my credit for the quote. That's, that's one of the most powerful quotes that I love as a social entrepreneur. One of the things that matters to me is the impact that we're having on people. And it's, it's something that's super powerful. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Ooh, I love some of the research around the herd theory. And the herd theory simply, it looked at a group of creatures. And what it noticed is that the, when this group of creatures saw impending danger was coming, that they all began going the exact same way. And I sometimes illustrate that in my presentations where I like have people get up and have them walk around the room. And about you're normally about 80 to 90% of time, people go the same way. And you see that play out. And uh, there's some studies, um, I don't know the official name of the, but I'm going to call them unofficially the elevator studies. You can probably find them on YouTube where they did a study <laughs> where people would get on elevators and like everybody would be faced the wrong way in the elevator. And they would study what the person who got on the elevator would do, right? Often you would see that this person would turn around and and face the back of the elevator uh, like these other people. And that's just another example of the herd theory and why that's important to me. But (laughs) what I loved about the herd theory and what that communicates is that often experientially, we just simply follow the herd. We follow the path of least resistance. Uh, we do what everybody else does at our company. We do all the same things. And we sometimes don't ask, what does this mean to me? And how about a favorite book? My favorite book, it still is, uh, it's Leadership and Self-Deception uh, by the Arbitrary oh, yeah. Institute. Uh, amazing, powerful book uh, that uh, helps you to better reflect and to see, am I projecting negativity on others based upon me not taking responsibility for my own life. And so that that book, when I did my MBA, uh, that transformed the way I looked at life. And so, yeah, it's one of my favorite books. And a favorite tool? Situational Leadership 2 by Ken Blanchard. A uh, great tool. It focuses on different components on how do you, one, serve and lead others, but then also, two, uh, where can you ask for help? I found people that just go to their leadership without using those terminologies and, and being able to say, hey, like, on this specific task or this role, like I need some help. I need some support. I need to know what, if I'm going in the right direction. I need to know if I'm failing uh, or falling short of this. And it's been just a helpful way for people to, one, communicate where they are on a task or role, uh, but two, to get support and direction in that same process. And how about a favorite habit? Ooh, a really good habit is what I call hashtag extravagant appreciation. I've been on a mission lately um, and part of my research in terms of how we can be more productive it's how do we show extravagant appreciation to other people? It actually falls into my principle, the, the uh, frog step, seed, and smile. Uh, it's what I call uh, a hashtag emoa or an intentional moment of appreciation where we go out our way to celebrate people around us. And I think, you know, in this beautiful world of technology, we got to go back to old school, Pete, like back to handwritten thank you notes. 
And so one of the things that I've been really developing a strong habit of is twofold of writing handwritten thank you notes to people. And so people can do that right in their office. I challenge people to do uh, at least two, one professionally and one personally, and let them know the impact that they've had on you um, at work and or the person at home. So my bigger habit, and I encourage everyone who stays at hotels, often we don't appreciate and value as much people who are housekeeping or janitors, or custodial staff members. So like I try my best to go out my way to show them extravagant appreciation. And Pete, you would not imagine the smiles that come upon people's faces. And so that's one thing that I do. And I encourage everyone who stays at a hotel, please leave a tip for your housekeeping, but not just leave a tip, but you know, those little uh, pads of paper and the pen, write them a handwritten thank you note on, on your last day of your stay and let them know how grateful you are that uh, they're doing the amazing work. And just don't leave the note. Please leave a tip as well. But that's one of the, the habits I think I, I'm valuing the most because it's one that's inspiring other people. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with audiences and they retweet it a lot? Yeah. yeah. One of the things uh, that I talk about in challenging the herd and identifying and embracing our uniqueness, that uh, this is the, the quote I share. It's don't be just like anyone. Be better for everyone by being the only you. Uh, again, it's don't be just like anyone. Be better for everyone by being the only you. And that's one of the most uh, requoted, retweeted, uh, even uh, organization. They made a big banner. I had no idea. Somebody showed it to me. <laughs> they put a big banner and put that in, in the hallway just to, to speak to unique ability. And uh, the last, you know, I know you just asked for one, but I have to be an overachiever. Sorry about that. Mm. Sometimes underachieve there is there are people who would love to have our bad days. And so it's just a perspective uh, challenge of kind of you know, as we engage our day, it can be super easy to focus on things that are negative um, and all the things that are going wrong. But sometimes with that process and think through like, man, there's somebody who would love to switch spots with me right now. Oh, I hate, I hate this situation. I hate my job. I hate, I hate my manager, whatever. I have a job that I can hate, right? I have a job that I can not like my manager when other people would love to be in that position. I know it seems at times trivial. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to make people's challenges small, but it is about how do we, how do we change and reflect in a, in a unique and different way. And so identifying that there are people who would love to have my bad days is one of those things that helps me and my work and in my personal life to just have a change of perspective. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, then go right to the website, justininspires.com, uh, where they can find information about your why matters now, how some achieve more and others don't. Uh, or if they want to do the old-fashioned way, then give me a call at 704-750-5574. But uh, justininspires.com is plenty. You can see the videos and uh, see my my crazy high energy. Uh, don't use a boxing robe anymore, but I still do dance uh, in the presentations. And so, yeah, that's way they can get in touch with me. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. My challenge is stop asking is the glass half empty or half full and let's fill the stupid glass back up, right? And so like, that's the thing. It's how do we take action? What is one thing that we can do to move forward? Like even from this podcast or all the podcasts you listen with Pete, is, is what one thing can you take away from this that you can apply and to fill the glass back up? Now, this is not a call to go to your nearest bar if you're over 21 and, and tell your bartender, fill the glass up, fill the glass up, right? But this is a clarion call to fill <laughs> our own glasses up with continuous learning, continuous growing, listening to podcasts like this one right now that will help you to grow and develop professionally, but also you get some nuggets to grow personally as well. So 
Uh, don't ask if the glass half empty or half full. Take action and fill the glass back up. All right, Justin, this has been a treat. Thank you and keep on inspiring. Thank you so much, Pete. I really loved Justin's questions there associated with zeroing in on your why, particularly what interested you growing up and what do you wish were better in the world? And it's funny, what interested me growing up was in fact reading books like those written by our guests. I was kind of a weird kid, I suppose, but I totally, as a teenager, read and listened to these books and ate them up And one thing that I do wish was better in the world was that workplaces were full of people who loved what they were doing and they were digging it. They were making an impact. They were enjoying it. They were in the groove, finding meaning and fun from it, enriching others from their their colleagues to their customers. And that's just a happy place. And if you're going to spend a third-ish of your life there, boy, how about it be an enriching and uplifting part of your life as opposed to a slog and a drain. So pretty cool stuff from Justin. I'm, I'm living it, bringing my why into my now and uh, helpful also to remember to to bring it back to the why if, if it feels like a slog or too much or you're kind of getting caught up in, in the too busy stuff. So handy stuff from Justin. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep490. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Jonathan Raymond. He's back at this time we are going deep into a tool he calls the accountability dial, which is a means by which you can have conversations that actually transform behaviors while still being diplomatic and kind and uplifting and caring to people and yet also firm and yet no for for real seriously we need this whether that's your manager or you're managing someone else or, or it's your peer we go deep into it it's very helpful you might find yourself referring back to it again and again so i hope to catch you there and peace Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.